Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. chapter 27, I want to say I appreciate all of you that attended the funeral service of Brother Larry Evans. I know that meant a great deal to the family, and we appreciate you doing that. And um, that's in times like these, it's times when you are grateful appreciative of your church, your church family, and so we want to continue to lift them up in prayer. Over the last um, few services that we've had, because of this season that we're in, time of the year, uh, we're reflecting on Calvary, and I've preached uh, messages, it seems, that have revolved around the cross. Really, the whole Bible revolves around the cross. Everything in the Old Testament points towards it. Everything in the New Testament points back to it. So without the cross, really, all of this is to no avail. It is the central theme of the Word of God. It's the cross that gives us the ability to be saved. Can you say praise the Lord? And so we've been talking about events surrounding the cross and I want to go there again today in Matthew chapter 27 and uh, verse 32. Matthew 27 and verse 32. And as they came out, they found a man, Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. I simply want to use that as a starting place here this morning and talk to us about the last temptation of the church, the last temptation of the church. Let's look towards the Lord right now and let's pray for his touch upon the remainder of this service. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I'm asking you in your name to minister to every need that is in this house. Let your word impact. Let your word minister to, let your word strengthen, let your word challenge, let your word get to where we're living. I pray, God, that you would do the work that needs to be done here today. Guide us and orchestrate the remainder of this service by the Holy Ghost. We thank you for it. Praise you because of it. In Jesus' name, and let's lift up the name of Jesus and give him praise right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. The Bible teaches us quite a bit about last things. It talks quite a bit about last things. There is 
Peter that is recalling Joel's prophecy in Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul writing here, talks about the last enemy, which is death. And then the same writer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us about the last trump that is going to sound and the Lord calling his church home. In Revelation, it speaks about the last plagues that are going to come upon this earth. There is a last time for everything virtually in our lives. There will be a last breath. There's a last heartbeat. There's going to be the last prayer. There will be the last church service. There's the last day, the last hour, the last minute. All of us will experience our last moment. There will be a last time for everything. And I'm of the opinion that you and I are currently living in the last days. Anybody believe that and can concur with that? And it makes us more aware, makes us a little bit more cognizant of how we live our lives. It gives us cause to be cautious. It gives us cause for carefulness. First John chapter number 4 and verse 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That tells me that in the last days, the church should not diminish in its strength. The church is not to be weakened in its power. But in the last day, it's to be stronger and to be more bold than it's ever been before. Because as He is, so are we in this world. I want you to note that statement. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So using Jesus Christ, which is our example, because as he is, we are in this world. I want to talk to you about the last temptation. The last temptation of Christ and the last temptation of the church. I believe they're one and the same. Since we're talking about last things, we understand that there will be a last temptation that all of us will face. And quite possibly the one that I'm going to speak about here this morning. We understand that the Lord was tempted at the beginning of His earthly ministry after living in this world, fulfilling his time period before his ministry would begin. The Bible says he was baptized for our example by John the Baptist. And then immediately the gospel said in the book of Matthew, it uses these words, it said he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. But Mark uses a different way to describe it. He said he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. It almost seems like a contradiction there, but it's really not a contradiction because a Spirit-filled saint of God understands that you must be led of the Spirit of the Lord. 
Matter of fact, we've got an entire New Testament that teaches us that we must be led of the Spirit of God. We must submit ourselves in order to be led of the Spirit of God. We must surrender ourselves in order to be led of the Spirit of God. We have to open our hearts and trust the Spirit of God that it knows what's best and He will guide us in places, sometimes tight places of life and through circumstances that are so challenging to us in the flesh that we don't understand how we're going to make it through it. But if we'll submit ourselves to the Spirit of God and trust Him and be led of His Spirit, He will lead us through. Also, it's the Spirit of God that leads us around all the pitfalls of the enemy, all the traps and the snares that the enemy would try to use to bring us down, as it were. But if we'll submit ourselves to the Spirit of God and be led of the Spirit, then He will guide us where we need to go. I'm going to tell you, you may not always understand the direction of the Spirit, but you can always trust the direction of the Spirit. You may not always understand where the Lord is leading you, but you can always rest assured that He knows what's best. Amen. And you can have peace in that. That child of God that has walked with God for a while, they understand that I've been through enough by this point to know that He's not going to lead me where He's not going to sustain me. The Spirit of God is never going to take me to a place that He will not take me through. Amen. He didn't lead me here to destroy me. He led me here to give me victory and triumph. And when I come through this, I'm going to come out, as the Scripture said, as pure gold. All the impurities, all of the things that are not like Jesus are going to be wrung out of me as I submit myself to the Spirit of God. Amen. You know, that's, that's the way the Spirit works. But also on the flip side, I agree with Mark as he uses a different way of describing this. And he says that he was driven by the Spirit. And just like we've got to be led of the Spirit, there's times we've got to let the Spirit drive us a little bit. Amen. When you get the Holy Ghost, you get a fire on the inside of you. When you get the Holy Ghost, you got something on the inside of you that will drive you. Amen. Through discouragement. Through disappointments. Amen. Just like Jeremiah spoke about when he was ready to give up his ministry. When he was ready to sit down and close his mouth. And said, I'm never going to speak again. Because nobody's accepting it. Everybody's rejecting my words and my ministry and and the things that the Lord has placed upon my heart. But this man that didn't even have the experience of the Holy Ghost like you and I have, he said this, he said, how can I be silent? He said, it's like fire that is shut up in my bones. What was it? It's just like us. He had something driving him on the inside. We got the Holy Ghost that will drive us. It'll drive you to prayer sometimes. It'll drive you to worship sometimes. It'll drive you to leap for joy when it seems like there's no joy around you. It'll drive you to lift your hands and to worship God when it seems like there's no reason to. It'll drive you to seek after God. Amen. And determine in your heart, I can make it through. You got to be led, but you better be driven too. Praise God. Praise God. Not only was he tempted at the beginning of his ministry in the wilderness, but if you stay with it, 
when you read the story of Jesus in the gospel, you'll find that he was also tempted at the end. I mean at the very end of his earthly ministry and fulfillment on this earth. This passage reveals something that I think we all need to be aware of. And that is that we never reach a place. And I want you to hear me this morning. We never reach a place, no matter how old, no matter how long, no matter how faithful, no matter what kind of uh, genealogy you have in the church, no matter if your grandfather started the church, no matter if uh, you've been here for decades, no matter how long you've had the Holy Ghost, you get my point this morning? It doesn't matter how long the enemy never gives up trying to destroy people. Amen. I pastor long enough now to know that he never gives up on folks. He's relentless in his attacks. So that tells me that there's no place for me to start coasting. There's no place I can rely upon and rest upon past commitments, past consecrations, past faithfulness, past achievements, past accomplishments in God. There's no place I can say, well, you know, I've been praying every day for such and such amount of time, and, you know, I believe I can cut back now. I can go into spiritual retirement. I can start collecting my spiritual pension, as it were. Wouldn't that be nice? But that's not the way it is. That's not how it happens. There's no place that you can retire in God. Amen. You don't have any, he doesn't have a social security program. He doesn't have a a, uh, investment program, IRA program. You've got to keep on investing. You've got to stay faithful in your walk with God. There's no place for you to grow casual. There's no place for you to get into a place of comfort and ease. Matter of fact, it was the prophet Amos, I believe it was, that said that there is a stern warning for those that are in ease, are at ease in Zion. I'm going to tell you, there's a danger in being in ease in Zion. Zion in the Old Testament is typical of the church in the New Testament. So you understand there's a danger in being too much at ease in the church. Too comfortable in the church. Some way or another, I know it's challenging, but you've got to keep that fire that you got as a new convert. Some way or another, I know it's challenging, but you've got to keep that same fervor, that same passion, that same worship, that same desire for the house of God that you had when you first got the Holy Ghost. When you was first baptized in Jesus' name. When you first received the revelation of who God was. When you first felt the presence of the Lord. You some way got to stir up that gift that was within you. And come back and receive again and be renewed again and restored again in the power of God. That's right. That's right. We got to do it over. The Bible talks about doing your first works over again. Talks to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation and said, Repent, remember, and return, and do your first works over again because you got to get that first love back. 
You've got to be renewed and refreshed in the Holy Ghost. Most automobile accidents, they tell me statistically, take place within a close proximity of a person's home. Why is that? Because when they get closer to the house, it's a lot easier for them to become relaxed. They've driven these roads many times. They know where every pothole is. They know where every turn is and when to expect and when they're approaching it. They know the neighborhood. They know everything about it. And so they relax. And it's much easier to reach over and start texting on that phone. It's much, oh, God bless you if you do that. Amen. I'm, I'm guilty. I'm not condemning anybody because I'm guilty. Matter of fact, my family said, hey, get off that phone. We're going towards the ditch. But anyhow, you know. It's just a temptation, isn't it? We're talking about temptation this morning. That's a temptation. Put that thing down. It can make it until you get there. They've got these little uh, ways of warning people now. Uh, you know, I, I text friends of mine, and uh, I get a pop-up on my deal that says, I'm driving right now, and I'd be happy to get back with you when I'm finished driving. It sounds like it's them, but I know it's not them. Because every punctuation is perfect and every word spelled just right. I know it can't be my friends. But most automobile accidents happen within close proximity of the house. Most industrial accidents happen among journeymen, they say. It's not the apprentice always that they're worried about. But it's that one that is working Somebody's getting that message. It's coming through. Tell them you're in church. Praise God. Maybe they can get one of those fancy texts. Most industrial accidents happen among journeymen because they get relaxed. They get comfortable. Time does not inoculate you when it comes to spiritual things. Age does not insulate you. Most of us, we, we've seen God, if we've been around the church, we've seen God answer some prayers and we've seen some victories in our lives and we don't ever need to forget them. We always need to remember them. But I'm going to tell you, you need something that's present day. You need something that hadn't happened too long ago. If we're always having to reach back 50 years ago to get our inspiration, we need to bring that experience into this present modern day and say, you know what, I know he's still a healer because, you know, this last week he healed sister so-and-so. He made somebody whole in our services last week. He moved. His power is still at work. There's still, there's still anointing. There's still revival in the air. There's still the Holy Ghost is still being poured out. The promise is still being fulfilled. Why? Because it recently took place. Praise God. I, I want there to be some recent miracles. I want there to be some recent. Come on, somebody hear me preach this morning. I want there to be some recent uh, 
visitations from God. I want there to be some recent moves of the Spirit. I want there to be some recent and relevant moves of the Holy Ghost. I think it's important that we be able to tap into it now and not have to say, well, it used to be. Amen. If you're stuck in yesteryear, you need to shake yourself and remember God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise the name of the Lord. Come on. I don't want to just preach about what he used to do. Let me preach about what he still can do. He can still save. He can still deliver. He can still pour his spirit out. Hallelujah. But the devil, he he never stops looking for a chink in your armor. The apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, towards the end of his ministry, which underscores our premise here today I have fought a good fight God bless that person that continues to fight and they fight a good fight and they don't give up and they don't surrender things to the enemy and I have finished my course you notice he said I fought a good fight and I have kept the faith Because every one of us are engaged really in the same fight. And we all are defending the same faith. But he said, my course. Every one of us have to walk a different course. He personalized that part. He said, my course, I finished. When I walk this course of life and where it took me in the path, not all of our paths are necessarily the same. They all lead to the same place. But our life's journey and our life's course and the circumstances of our lives and and uh, challenges of our lives are not always the same. Uh, each of us have individual challenges and situations. And we all have propensities. And we all have certain things that we're given to. And so we all uh, have things that we have to overcome, as it were. But I'm thankful that we can finish our course. And he said, I have kept through that whole entire course. I have kept the faith. That was not just a passing statement. That was more than just the summation of a good ministry. But he had reached the last of his life and he was able to say that I kept the faith. I'm going to tell you that is my definition of success. It's somebody when they get to the end that I'm still here and I still got my faith There's a lot of things my health may have diminished, but my faith hasn't diminished. My strength may have diminished, but my faith hasn't diminished. Matter of fact, from the time I began to the time I end, my faith has increased because I got a lot more that I can look back to over the course of my life and say, you know what? I know that he can and I have more faith now than ever because I have seen when my faith was put to the test that he is able to bring us out. He's able to answer my prayers so my faith has increased because I've had to use it. I'm going to tell you, the more that you utilize your faith, the stronger it gets and, 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 and the more substance it has behind it, the more you've had to utilize it, the more you've had to employ it in situations of your life. You've had to use that faith and when there's been attacks, you've had to use that faith. When there's been troubles in life, you've had to use that faith. And because of that, your faith is stronger. And he said, I have kept the faith. Amen. Though the enemy has tried to destroy it, 
And the devil is relentless in his efforts to try to destroy my faith. I've kept it. He's always looking for a way to trip you up. He's always looking to set a trap that you would fall into. If he cannot get you to backslide, then he'll get you to be offended. If he cannot get you to fully get so discouraged that you quit, then uh, he'll try to bring so much disappointment on you that you're ineffective and that you don't really have faith and you have doubts in your mind. So he tries to cloud our minds with all of those things. He never gives up. Yet, the Bible tells me, and this is encouraging, that the church is to be commended because it's been through a whole lot. It's been through the flood and the waters could not drown it. It's been in the fires of persecution and the fires could not burn it. It's been through the storm and the winds of the storm could not blow the church apart. It's been tried by false doctrine and heresy. Matter of fact, Paul said, writing to the Corinthian church, he said, heresies must come so that they that are approved, amen, so that the true church, in other words, can come out of this and be proven that they know what is right and they believe what is right with all of their heart. So don't be discouraged when false doctrine arises. No, that's just part of living in the last days. That's part of the end time. And God is going to have a church that's going to emerge from all of the threats of false doctrine and heresy that is still going to be a one God church, a Jesus name baptizing church, and a Holy Ghost Spirit filled church. Can you say praise the Lord? A sanctified church, a holy church, a church without spot and without wrinkle or any such thing, the Bible says. I'm not worried about the church. Really, my only concern is staying in the church. That should be your only concern. The church is going to be saved. The church is predestined. You're not predestined, but the church is predestined because the Bible said he's coming back for a church. Only thing I need to make sure of is I'm in the church. That's why I'm committed to this thing. That's why my mind's made up. I am not backsliding away from the church. I'm not growing cold while sitting on pews. Amen. I'm going to be in the church. Come on, that brings to mind something else. Just because you attend church don't mean you're in the church. Just because you come and occupy a place on the pew doesn't mean you're in the church. you got to be born into this church. Come on, grandpa can't get you in the church and grandma can't get you in the church and no matter how good your mom and daddy is, they can't get you in the church and a friend can't get you in the church. But the Bible said the way you get in this church is you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful that that this born again new birth experience has been made available to me. I'm thankful that I've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was born in the church. Hallelujah. False brethren have tried the church. It's been tried by discord. It's been tried by disunity. It's been tried by persecution. None of these things have stopped the church. In fact, it's flourished. It's expanded. Under persecution, you read about it in the New Testament, throughout the book of Acts, through those times, a persecution 
when it seemed like this would scatter the church and this would cause the church to go down. Instead, it began to pop up in other places like Samaria. And then through Paul's conversion, it began to grow strong in the Asian minor and cities that would be the most unlikely place for an apostolic church. Cities like Ephesus, cities like Corinth that were steeped in idolatry, that were steeped in all kinds of pagan practices. But because of the power of the gospel being preached there, there was not just little tiny churches and little cell groups that were raised up, little, little, little house church, and that was it. As some people try to, try to put it in your mind, I'm going to tell you, those were strong churches. I, I, I've read in some cases 20, 25, 30,000 members strong in some of these cities where the church, I'm going to tell you, if we're going to, we don't, we don't need to be comparing ourselves with another church around. We don't need to be comparing ourselves with anybody else. What we need to do is look at the pattern here in the New Testament and say, we got a lot of work to do. There, there's a lot that, that, that we need to live up to because in this New Testament church, it was a growing revival church that was flourishing under horrendous circumstances. Persecution that was coming against it in every way. You read the life of Paul. He said, thrice I was, I was shipwrecked and stoned and cast out in the deep and, and uh, whipped and, and stripes on my back and uh, false brethren and all these things. But he still managed to flourish. He still kept his faith. He still remains strong. I'm going to tell you, no matter what comes against the church of the living God, amen, it's going to be victorious. It's going to come out in the end. Oh, praise the Lord. Somebody clap your hands if you're thankful for the church. Matter of fact, we see a little type of this all the way back in the book of Exodus. Pharaoh realized that these Hebrews... Their, their population is growing so fast and they're obviously blessed and they're, they're growing in numbers so, so rapidly. We've got to do something about them. And he tried different ways. And finally he resorts to ruling them with rigor. And the scripture says that no matter how much persecution, how much load and burden he put upon them, that they still flourished, they still multiplied, and they grew stronger, and they grew greater. I'm going to preach to you here today that if you'll, you'll stay with the church, you'll stay with the things of God, the church is going to triumph. The church is going to grow stronger. Amen. It's not going to get get weaker I don't know I don't know who you've been listening to but the church isn't going to get weaker I'm talking about the true church it's going to grow stronger it's going to believe the message stronger it's going to be it's going to be believing and standing for the truth stronger amen as the day approaches for the coming of the Lord amen I believe with all of my heart there is going to be a church and it's called a glorious church according to the word of God hallelujah hallelujah Praise God. Jesus had already, previous to our text, endured so much. It had been a long, horrible night. Unbearable pain and anguish. It began in the garden where there was really that submission 
to the ultimate will of God over the flesh. He prayed so intensely that the scripture says he perspired with great drops of blood. He'd been forsaken by his closest followers. The Bible said they forsook him and fled. He'd been taken to Pilate's hall and falsely accused. And it's kind of like a merry-go-round, one kangaroo court to the next, tossed back and forth between rulers and kings. And finally, he's ordered to be scourged by Roman soldiers at a whipping post. Pilate trying his best to fulfill the appetite of this angry crowd. Then the crown of thorns is placed upon his head. His beard is plucked. They mock him by putting a purple robe upon him. They spat in his face. And then finally they place a cross before him and they want him to shoulder it up a hill where they're going to crucify him. And that's where really our our text begins with Cyrene by the name of Simon that when Jesus is unable and he falls in his weakened condition, takes that cross and carries it to its place. And it's there after being nailed to a cross It's there with his visage marred beyond recognition. It's there with his life, his life's blood ebbing out of him. That the scripture says that they hand him up this concoction, this vinegar mingled with with gall. What this is is really it's a, a sedative, it's It's a concoction to take away the pain. This was not something that they did uh, to to further mock him. or This was something they were doing to really show pity upon him. And he's just moments away from the greatest spiritual victory that's ever going to be won. And there's one last attempt here to sabotage the ultimate will of God. They came when his suffering was so intense, when his pain is at its zenith, with one last temptation. They have this cup that they extend to him. Here, Jesus, this will ease the pain. This will take the suffering away. This will make this process easier on you. This will make this pain kind of subside and you can just go on and pass into the arms of death. But the Bible says that when it was touched to his mouth and he tasted it, that he spat it out. If Christ is our example and we are as he is in the world, then I see a powerful, powerful parallel here. The last temptation of Christ and the last temptation of the church in the last days is much the same. 
The enemy is doing all he can do to make doing the will of God a little easier. The enemy is, is doing all he can do to try to take the sacrifice and the commitment and the consecration and the dedication and all of that out of living for God and out of pleasing the Lord and doing the will of God. He presents people every day with an easier path. He knows he can't talk you out of being a follower, but he wants to present a substitute so that you don't have to totally surrender to God, so that you don't have to totally make the ultimate consecration, so that you don't have to come and give your all on an altar of repentance. You can keep that. You don't have to surrender that. It's really not that difficult. It's not that hard. And I'm going to tell you, in case you're wondering, it's, it's not hard to live for God when you live for God hard. It's hard to live for God when you're in that place of indecision and you're in the throes of it. The enemy wants to modify the message of truth and make it more compatible. He offers spiritual sedatives. Try to take the pain out of coming to the cross and denying yourself. That's what coming to the cross is all about. He was first partaker. We don't have to go through the physical agony, but we have to follow an example in a spiritual sense by coming and dying out to our will and saying just like he did in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. We have to be willing to lay ourselves down, our ambitions, our aspirations, our thoughts of the way it should be or whatever, and say, Lord, I'm submitting myself to your will. It's complete and total surrender. And he tries to offer a sedative and say, you don't have to do that. Let me make it easier for you. Let me take the, let me take let me take the consecration out of this. Let me take the commitment out of this. Let me take the self-denial out of this. But I'm going to tell you something about sedatives. Something about painkillers is they're addictive. And they, they follow the law of diminishing returns. That means whatever you take this week, you're going to have to take more next week. And whatever you give in to today, you're going to have to give in to more tomorrow. And whatever washed away your cares and your concerns and your fears and your worries and your doubts and whatever brought a certain measure of consolation to you, if you continue, it's going to take more. And, and that's the way it is about what I'm preaching about in the spirit of what I'm preaching about here this morning is that if you ever give in to it, if you ever surrender to it and say, you know what, it doesn't take all this consecration. It doesn't take all of this faithfulness to God. It doesn't take all this commitment to the Lord. It doesn't take this self-denial and surrender and totally giving it all on the own. It doesn't take all of this. I, I want a more compatible and friendly and, and uh, feel-good message. I, I don't like all of this self-denial. I don't like the altar. I don't like giving my all. I don't like repentance. 
I'm going to tell you, if we're going to have the rejoicing, we've got to have the repentance. If we're going to have the victory, we've got to have the self-denial. Jesus said, I'll endure the cross and I'll despise the shame because I can see on the other side of this, there's going to be victory. There's going to be joy. There's going to be a promise. There's going to be a church that's going to be purchased. Amen. And, and there's going to be, there's going to be joy on the other. I'm going to tell you, friend, some of you that you can't see the sense in it all. I'm going to tell you, you cannot be happy where you are. You cannot be happy. You haven't been able to find it in the world. Amen. You haven't been able to find it in the things that the world offers it doesn't matter how much of the world you get it doesn't seem like it eases the pain it takes more and it takes more and it takes more but you can come to the cross you can bow your knees at an altar you can surrender your life to God and he will give you victory he will give you peace that passeth all understanding and joy that is unspeakable and full of glory so don't Don't succumb to the last temptation. Stand with me. Don't succumb to what I call the last temptation of the church. And that is, you don't have to fully surrender. You don't have to be fully 100% all in. You don't have to really give your life to God. All of it. You can hold certain things in reserve. You can hold back in certain areas. You can pull the reins in certain places. Jesus said when that was offered to him, he sped it out. He said, no, I'm going to fulfill the ultimate will of God. I'll surrender. I'll commit. I'll endure. I'll do what is necessary. I'll accept it. Because I want to have the victory that comes through this. Amen. You can't overcome sin that you don't repent of. You you can come down and be sorry about it. But the Bible says this. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. That's only the starting place, being sorry for it. You've got to make up your mind. I'm going to fully repent of it. I'm not going back to it. I'm turning away from it. I'm not going to return to it, in other words. I'm not going to keep on going back to that spirit and, and, and tangling with those attitudes and I, I'm not going to continue to visit that and, and, and engage in that and I'm not going to continue to do those things I'm, I'm not going to continue to practice those things I'm going to turn away from it and I'm going to come and surrender it all at an altar and even as I preach here this morning I know the enemy is trying to offer people a cup it's pervasive in this generation Uh, Can I remind this church that we didn't get here by people that were half-stepping and people that were not fully committed. We didn't didn't get here to this point, to this place, by people that weren't all in. Amen. We're talking about people that built this church that brought us to this point where we stand in this facility that we're willing to 
put it all on the altar and consecrate their lives to God and live for God 100%. And if we're willing to live for God 100%, God will continue to bless and God will continue to work in our lives. I want to submit to him on this Sunday before Easter Sunday, and I, I'm going I'm to preach about the resurrection. But I want to tell you, there'd be no resurrection if there wasn't a Calvary. There'd be no church if there wasn't a Calvary. There'd be no, there'd be no salvation of any person in this place if there was not a Calvary. So somebody needs to spit out the temptation, as it were, reject the temptation, as it were, that says you don't have to repent. You don't have to, you don't have to really dedicate. You don't have to, you don't have to really give your all. You don't have to be 100% all in. You, you don't really have to be everything the Bible says. I mean, come on now. You, you, you really think it requires all of that to live for God? I'm going to tell you, there's nobody that's going to get to heaven and say, you know what? If I'd have known I could have got by with some of this, I am so mad. I'm so offended. I'm so upset that I had to give up these things to make it. I'm going to tell you, when you get there and you have tears wiped out of your eyes and you realize that you made that city, you're not going to worry about anything you had to dedicate on this altar. You're not going to be concerned about anything you had to give up in this life. You're not going to be concerned about anything you had to submit to God in the 70 or so years that you've been given on this earth to walk. Amen. If you get to that city and you get to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ, you'll be glad you came to an altar of surrender. You'll be glad that you dedicated yourself to God. You'll say it was worth everything. It was worth everything. Amen. Is there somebody that wants to come? Is there somebody that like to say, I I'll surrender? Amen. Let's, let's don't just scurry off here to these sides and I wish we'd get out of that habit. I wish we'd come to the altar and say, God, I need you. I need your touch. If you can't kneel, stand. Amen. It's all right. Just come to the altar and say, God, I need you today. I need you today. If any man will deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Oh, yeah. That's the command of the Bible. That's the Word of God this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes. Come on, we can't, we can't put sedatives in the Scripture here. We, we, can't, we can't take the pain out of it in some cases. You've got to dedicate. You've got you to gotta give your all. You've got to pour your heart out on the altar. You've got to submit yourself to God. You got to cry out to him. Hallelujah. You got to be willing to surrender. Hallelujah. I'm willing to surrender today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh God, I'm willing to give my all to you. I'm willing to give my everything to you. Thank you Jesus. Here I am. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.